me, hello friends, and welcome to this message which is specially handpicked to minister to you and to bless you. I am Pastor Lincoln Seranga, Senior Pastor here at Liberty Christian Fellowship in London. My passion is the pursuit of 100% answered prayer. If that sounds like a good subject to you, why don't you follow me at lincolnseranga.com and also find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and other social media where you will be able to find other messages as well as find access to short courses, coaching opportunities and more. God bless you as you listen to this message. Uh, I want to speak on overcoming the accuser, overcoming the accuser, and uh, you'll see where I'm going, and uh, just to, to settle everybody down, somebody's going to say, but pastor, why is there an accusation at all? Well, I thought we are past accusation. I want to start there and then get into the meat. Uh, I could have come back later, but I don't want this opposition to be in our heads all through the journey. So I'm going to start with Romans 8 and verse 31. Overcoming the accuser. At some point, uh, there will be a, a display. So for those that are at home, I have asked, uh, Sarah will be showing you a few slides later uh, so that you can follow this. So I'm not sure how much I will go into this message, but I'll pick up next week from where I stop. Overcoming the accuser. Father, open my mouth to speak your truth. Teach me as I speak because this is still a message in shaping. And as we break bread together, let our hearts combine to wisdom. Amen. Amen. Yeah, oh, Romans 8.31. Um, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? When the big guns are on your side, who cares about the small pistols? <laughs> huh? God has voted you, and he will not change his mind about who you are. You can change your mind. You can treat him any way you want. But he looks in your face, and he has chosen you. If God is for us, who can be against us? Friends, I, I don't want to detour, but many times we are too busy studying our enemy instead of getting acquainted with our friend. We are too busy looking out who is against us, and we are failing to develop acquaintance with the beloved one who has chosen and loved us. If God is for us, who cares who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us, how shall he not with him also give us all things? And there again is my challenge for 100% an answer, um, answered prayer. If God has given us Christ, will he not with him freely give us all things? Think about that. Who shall bring an accusation against God's elect. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's a question that is asked. 
It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? We know who, who does. <laughs> it is Christ who died and furthermore also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Powerful, powerful portion of scripture. It's good to put at the foundation that the Bible is saying right from the onset, God is on our side. But it also says and questions who will bring a charge? It doesn't answer it, but it's a rhetorical question. It's making the point that because God is on our side, who dare accuse us? Who really has a case against us? And then he explains really, he answers this. He says, it's God who justifies. So our accusation is silenced by God's justification. Now let me explain what justification is. Justification is a decree. It's a royal decree. It's a divine decree over the elect, over the born again. God declares us not guilty. Amen? That is a verdict of heaven over the believer. Not guilty. That is Paul's response to who shall bring a charge against us. Because God has justified us. Who is he who condemns? We know who does, Satan seeks to, Christ has died and furthermore is risen. Now next week I'll go into the depth of that, God permitting me. And uh, so the point here, friends, is that uh, there is a royal decree over the believer, a justification. Now the word justification has been simplified, I don't know who coined this, but I think it's a brilliant thing, uh, just as if. Just as if. So God dealt with Jesus just as if he was a sinner so that he may deal with me just as if I'm sinless. It's a justification. It's a court ruling. Now, some court rulings are very annoying. When somebody who is guilty is brought and put in the docks, evidence is submitted, hmm? A penalty is put out. And then a lawyer rises, and thank God for the lawyer Jesus, the intercessor. Did you see that one? It says, He uh, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. And I'm just going to the complexity of these things. Intercessor. An intercessor is one who argues your case. But it goes deeper than just arguing your case. He pays your penalty if you are found guilty. This is a different type of thing. It isn't a lawyer. A lawyer wants their fees at the end of the court case. This one pays the fees. And so when it is a death sentence, he goes and serves it. So he doesn't just argue our case. When we are found guilty, he becomes the guilty one. He takes the penalty. He dies for us. 
And so that wraps up a sense of understanding uh, uh, what's at, at stake here. What's at, at, what's at stake? Then why is there uh, still the question of accusation? Now, I want to, to discuss this because we, we had a discussion of this as the pastoral team some time ago, and I don't think we fully concluded it, uh, but I really felt God pushing me to bring my findings before you to argue my case. I'm looking at some theologians in the house here. I'm safe. There was a theologian here showing us there's a difference between freedom and deliverance. What a beautiful insight. <laughs> oh, my days. There's so much good thinking in the house. Amen. Okay. Are, are, we, are we ready? <laughs> now, this is the reality, friends. We are justified, yet we are accused. Let's start there. I'm going to put it right at the table. There is a justification and an accusation. Has a court case ever finished and you find guys outside waiting for the, um, what do they call him, the plaintiff? Is it the one when they've uh, been the one? Hmm? <laughs> Claim, the one who's been sued and now has been set free. They're accused. And people are still saying, but I saw him. He has been justified but I know he's guilty. I have the evidence. The, the judge was blind. He missed the evidence. So the jury got it wrong. The guy is guilty. Justified yet accused. Does anyone identify with that? Justified by God yet accused by enemies. Justified by God. Accused by enemies. Let me tell you, friends, our justification is certain and absolute. Hallelujah. And it is in the courtrooms of heaven that we are declared not guilty. But on the front line of life, day to day, some of us are our own accusers. We are aware of the justification but we are also aware of the accusation. And I, I, I want us to, to, to get our theology right here because in the debate of these people, get red-faced. If you can imagine that on a black skin. <laughs> are we justified or accused? Huh? 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 Doesn't the Bible say who can bring an accusation against the people of God? It does say, but also, it also says accuser of the brethren. So let's go into that one. So how do you reconcile justification and accusation? I've just tried in a practical way, in a court case, the guy's declared free. This guy is free. There's no case against him. Yet everyone is saying, he's guilty, he's guilty, and it continues in the media. <laughs> but you've been justified. Thank God you don't have to be clean to be declared not guilty. Because I don't think anyone would stand on this stage and claim that you were worth the decree. None of us was worth the decree. That's why the lawyer was killed. That's why Jesus had to die. So our justification was not because we were not found guilty. He took the sin on himself. He became the guilty one that we may walk free. It was an exchange. An exchange. Okay. 
Revelation 12, verse 7. God help me. I'm about to take you into a theological spaghetti. Okay, I'm probably dramatizing. It's probably not that complicated. <laughs> okay, here we go. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. Hmm? And the dragon and his angels fought back. Continue. With the verse. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. Continue. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and these angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now, 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 salvation. Strength, the kingdom of our God, the power of our Christ has come. For the accuser of the brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. I think we will stop there. No, we will not. Let me see if we can go a little, a little deeper, a little further. They loved their lives not to the death. Mm -hmm. let's, let's read a little more. Go to the next one. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. <laughs> Guys, stuff is so deep. I wish I had a week. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. And the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. I wish I had a week with Bible-hungry believers to go through these matters. Number one, please understand we are dealing with one of the juiciest portions of scriptures, yet illuminating and yet mystifying First of all, where are we? Where are we? Are we at the fall of Satan? Or are we in the end times? Have you ever, have you ever bothered with that? <laughs> where does this thing fall? I want to deliver you from your perplexity. Because I think God has delivered me from my sense of being perplexed by this. Now, let me explain about prophetic uh, the nature of prophetic, some types of prophetic declarations. The, Bible, the book of Revelation is a prophetic book. And this portion is notoriously difficult because it only answers to what is called uh, the principle of initial and ultimate fulfillment. So, many times a prophetic word would be spoken in time, yet it had a bouncing effect that it was fulfilled then and then later. So it had a double barrel nature in its timing. Yeah, this is one of those verses. Now I want to, ex I want to give you an example and before, before I continue. Uh, uh, we, we're getting ready for Christmas. 
For uh, the Bible says, a virgin shall conceive. Everybody knows that verse. Matthew 1, 22. If you can display it. Uh, well, guys at home can't see that. <laughs> We're still sorting out our capacity to use verses. One of these days we'll resolve it. Yeah. It, it says, uh, Behold, the virgin shall be with child. This is Matthew chapter 1, verse 22. And bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. It's actually a prophetic declaration in the book of Isaiah. And so verse 22 starts, So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, the prophet here being Isaiah, Behold, a, the, the virgin actually, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now, let me take a bit of time here, which I thank God I have two Sundays. Let me explain what was going on. In the immediate context of that prophecy, it was actually war. The king of Israel and the king of Syria, Assyria, came together and attacked the kingdom of Judah. And a king called Ahaz was told, Israel and Assyria have come together to attack you. This, this was the worst news they could hear. Because Israel was a neighbor, Assyria was a neighbor, Judah is a, the, the kingdom that, that continued under Jehovah. And so when you read the, the context, Isaiah 7, uh, the whole chapter, of, chapter 7, and going into 8 a little, the Bible says when they had the news, they shook like trees. The king and everyone in the land was shaken even as the trees. And then Isaiah the prophet shows up. <laughs> Isaiah the prophet was no joke. He was so accurate. He had such a track record. He's a messianic prophet. Uh, he spoke most of the prophecies of Christ. This guy was spot on. I think his royal assignment in God was to speak of Messiah. So Isaiah steps out and comes to Ahaz and says, Ahaz, be steady, be still, be, be cool. Because if you don't stand in faith, you will not stand at all against this army. Tells him, be strong in the Lord against this assault. Because the threats that they are making will not come to pass. Hmm. Thank God for Isaiah. So, uh, Isaiah goes further and says, ask the Lord for a sign. If you want a sign. And Isaiah, uh, Ahaz says, no, 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 no. I can't test my God by asking for a sign. And then Isaiah says, well, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And then he says, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And you shall call his name Emmanuel. It's like, what has that got to do with the price of bread? It's like, what, what has that got to do? <laughs> Which virgin? So Isaiah, in this moment, leaps into the future in a weird way. And speaks of the Messiah. 2,000 years ago. And I don't know how many hundred years or thousand years from Ahaz's time. Of what use is that sign to Ahaz? And this is war. Armies are gathering. And you are speaking about thousands of years ago. But in the immediate effect, this is what happened. When you read, um, Isaiah breaks out into prophetic speech, and my God, there's such poetic prowess there as he examines the things that God wants to do in that immediate context. But the heart of it is the threat of Assyria 
and Israel will not materialize, says the Lord. And I'll give you a sign. A virgin shall bear a child, and you shall call his name um, Emmanuel. I'm sure after saying that, Isaiah must have himself said, what was that about? But this is what followed. You then see in chapter 8 that Isaiah said, Then I went to the prophetess, his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to a boy. Like, what? Was that the sign? And then God says to him, Name him Mahar Shalal Hashbaz. He didn't say name him Emmanuel. Name him Mahar Shalal Hashbaz. So the immediate fulfillment was a son was born to Isaiah. The ultimate fulfillment was that a virgin conceived in Bethlehem and gave birth to a son. And his name was Jesus, God with us. Double-barreled prophecy. It had initial fulfillment and ultimate fulfillment. I've enjoyed this exp exp explaining that to you. <laughs> so, this is, this is what's going on right here. So, this prophecy speaks of two falls. I want to help you. It speaks of two falls of Satan... Because Satan is going to fall twice from the heavens. And so for those of you that have been following my teaching on the three heavens, this is beautiful to behold and to understand. So let us go through it briefly, quickly, and then I'll show you that diagram that I have. So war broke out in heaven in the first rebellion when Satan wanted, when Lucifer, the archangel, Sought, and I'm not going to go into the details of the, the fall of Lucifer and show you all the verses, but you all guys know uh, the prophecies and how he said, I'll, I'll ascend to the heavens and I'll be as, as God himself. And God said, no, 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 you're going down instead. So his rebellion, wanting to take over the kingdom of God, failed and he was cast into the earth. Now the Bible shows what happened. War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back, but they did not prevail. Nor was a place found for them in heaven. And that's as far as it goes in terms of understanding that the sense and the principle by which Satan is cast out. And as I've been teaching, and I will show you in a moment, Satan was cast out of heaven onto the earth. Hmm? But in this particular case, he was cast out of the third heaven. The third heaven, I'm going to show you that. He was cast out of the third heaven into the first heaven. And there's going to be a second casting out, as I explain to you in a moment. Because Satan was thrown out of the first heaven, and uh, out of the third heaven onto the, onto the earth. And then he comes to the garden after God has created Adam and Eve because he's trapped in the first heaven and now he negotiates for space in the second heaven. He wants to take over the second heaven. I'll explain these things to you. And so this second fulfillment is now why it looks like these are two time frames because now when you look at this, it, it reads different because, oh, look at that. He says, no, no place was found for him in heaven any longer. That means he, he has been tolerated in this heaven for a period. 
And I do not think he was tolerated in the third heaven for any period. But here he has been occupying the heavens for a season, but he's being cast out because he can't stay any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old. Of old? Serpent of old? I thought this is a fresh rebellion. No, 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 we're talking about now, we've jumped into the latter fulfillment that the serpent of old is now being cast out again out of the second heaven, as I will show you. Satan was, will be, will be, this is a future event. He is going to be thrown out of the second heaven. And he continues describing him. The serpent of old called the devil or Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast out of the heaven Cast onto the earth. Are you showing this verse? We are still in Revelation 12. Now I'm, I'm on verse 9. Hmm? I'll show those that are in the house so that they can follow. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast, of the, cast out of heaven, and his angels were cast out with him. Then a loud voice said, I'm just making the point that this is talking about a future event. This is a future event, friends. It says now salvation. Oh, how would there have been salvation when there are no people on earth? Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. Christ has not even come if it was the first fall of Satan. So we are talking about a different time here now. Suddenly we've jumped into the future. And so he's calling him. He's saying salvation, strength, the kingdom of God, the power of Christ has come. For the accuser of the brethren, who accused them before God day and night, has been cast down. That means he has been accusing the church before this casting down. This is the second casting down of Satan. And now uh, it explains the rest. So, so let us go into, into this um, uh, uh, little video. So what Sarah will be doing is I'll be asking her to play and pause because I just created it as a video. That's the only way. Back. Okay, audio is back. Just needed to confirm that everybody online is with us. Okay, so projection at the back. Uh, you are doing my PowerPoint as well so that those that are in the house here can understand what's going on. Church has gone scientific right now. <laughs> okay, next, next slide. Next slide uh, for Marvin, not, not on projection. So these are the three heavens. Yeah? Is that slide one? Now, please understand, Lucifer was in the third heaven. He was in the heaven of heavens. Hmm? was in the heaven of heavens. Uh, is that not slide two? I thought there was a slide before that. Is that a slide before that, Marvin? No? Okay, that's fine. Let's go to that. I just needed to show. Because on, on, the, on, the, video, on the video, I think I may have removed a video. Now, the Bible, let me clearly explain to you the three heavens. Most of you have had this teaching. Uh, but you see, the Bible shows, I think I'll use the screen here. The Bible shows the third heaven is called paradise. And that is First 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 4. Those on projection are at home, you can see that. In the Bible talks of how Paul says, I know a man who was caught up 
to the third heaven, and I don't know whether he went in the physical flesh or in the spirit, but he was caught up to the third heaven. It's caught up to the third heaven, and the things he saw there cannot even be uttered. This is called the heaven of heavens. It is also called paradise. So you see there Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 14, it calls the third heaven the heaven of heavens. And the Bible says the heaven of heavens cannot contain him. Hmm? Yeah? And so that is the first heaven. Secondly, we have the second heaven. And uh, the second heaven in the Bible is described as heavenly places. In Ephesians chapter 6, when the Bible says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers uh, in heavenly places. That is a reference to the second heaven. There's also Ephesians 2.2, which talks about uh, the prince of, uh, who is power, who is the power of, of the air, the prince of the power of the air. Again, it's referring to the spirit realm which has governance over earth, and it is the second heaven. And then finally, the first heaven is the atmospheric heaven, which is our heaven. So the Bible talks about the birds of the heavens. That is Psalms, um, Psalms, is it eight? Eight, eight, Psalm eight, eight. The birds of the heavens, it also speaks of the stars of the heaven. So first heaven is atmospheric heaven. Second heaven is the spirit realm. And third heaven is the dwelling place of God. And I had a loud amen online. <laughs> That's as far as I'll go in explaining that. Now Lucifer, as you see in the diagram, now move on to that next, uh, just uh, move on a, a little a little. Uh, uh, f- further on the, on the projection online. Uh-huh. Pause right there. So Lucifer, uh, go backwards, Marvin. Uh, uh, Lucifer was in the third heaven, and he wanted to be God. He wanted to take over the throne of God. And the Bible says he was cast out. He was cast out. Out. And so show that, uh, that activation up there so you can see that arrow, he is cast out. And even on projection uh, at home, uh, online, we're going to cast him out. So he was cast out. Uh, so he's called the dragon in that verse. Now move on further. He was cast out of heaven, boom, onto the first heaven. He couldn't have been cast into the second heaven because the second heaven is the realm of of dominion over the earth. He would have immediately ruled over the earth, but he's cast onto the first heaven. And so, because the first heaven is practically material, it's a material realm, he manifested as a serpent. He could not manifest as an angel because that was his heavenly status. Now on earth, he had to be one of the creatures that Adam has dominion over. Yeah. So Satan has no dominion over Adam because God said, I give you dominion over everything that flies, everything in the water, and everything that crawls on the ground. So when Satan shows up crawling on the ground as a serpent, Adam and Eve know they have authority over him. No question about it. And so when he begins to converse with them, it's a reversal. 
When you listen to something you should be ruling over and now it is advising you, no wonder we fail. Something that you should be ruling over when it begins to speak to you and dictate terms, you are under assault. That is a principle of life. Nothing on earth must have dominion over me. Because God put me on earth to rule. So food does not rule me. Sleep must not rule me. Nothing should have dominion over me. I must bring all things to subjection. Because I'm created in the image and likeness of God, I must master all things by the grace of God and bring them into subjection. I thank God that I'm not addicted to anything that I cannot overcome. There is no addiction you cannot overcome. The nation's addictions are chemicals. Yeah, they are all chemicals. We are addicted to spirits, evaporative substances, which are mixed with uh, some things, and, and people end up, someone, you can see when somebody is under dominion, Another dominion of a substance, you know? Things we smoke. We smoke leaves, and the leaves take dominion over you. And you suddenly, you are not allowed to control a vehicle because you are under the influence. You understand? I, I don't want to go too far. <laughs> I'm making the point. So nothing should have mastery over us. So when this serpent comes and negotiates dominion of, of uh, um, uh, Adam and Eve, we are only going south. Everything is going south. So this is what goes on. Yeah? Now let's trigger the next movement because now God creates Adam. For those that are at home, let's scroll to that one. Boom. There, Adam and Eve have shown up. And so uh, the next thing is Satan approaches them. Let's move that, that slide forward. So Satan comes and he tempts them. On, uh, let's move on up at... at uh, on projection as well. I'm trying to navigate two different projections, both in the house. And Marvin, next step. Oh, oh, you are way ahead, Marvin. You're way, 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 way ahead. Listen to both the sermon and uh, illustration. Uh -huh. So when Satan comes and negotiates with Adam and Eve, they fall. Yeah? So next slide is they fall. And when they fall... He now can ascend to the heavens as an accuser. Mm -hmm. This is as an accuser. Actually, the guys at home, uh, I think you've gone way over, Sarah. You've gone way over. Go backwards. Uh -huh. Leave them there fallen. Those that are at home will see a slightly more developed PowerPoint because it became, we made it a video. So Satan ascends and now has dominion over man in the second heaven. Yeah? So the verses we are about to read are about, the verses we've just read are about war breaking out in the second heaven as part of an end time process. But let's finish this uh, display. Okay, let's move forward now. Uh, uh, I think Marvin, you're a little behind now. So go to the second heaven. That is where satanic powers are at work now. That's why our world has problems. That's why there is death and destruction and disease and troubles. Because Satan took over rulership in the second heaven, which is the administrative spirit realm over the earth. 
Now Jesus came, thank God he came. And when he came, he died for us. And we're going to go back into that verse. And uh, so let's see what follows there on our, on our, because uh, when Jesus dies, we are made anew. We are made anew and we are lifted up and taken to heavenly places in Christ. We go to the third heaven. Yeah? Jesus, uh, according to the book of Ephesians, he raised us, he made us alive together with him. And he has uh, raised us with him and seated us in heavenly places far above principalities and powers. Uh, let's see if the projection on the house can show that. Uh, I don't know what slide shows. Uh, uh, do, do I have? Okay. Leave it right there. Because what has happened now when man is raised and seated with Christ in heavenly places... Satan falls back again into the first heaven. I, I think, I'm sorry, Marvin, I think I gave you a PowerPoint which is not fully developed. That's why you're struggling. But I think the guys online are perfect. Yeah? Okay, so the people online are seeing something better because they see uh, uh, the ascension of the believer. Now, click the next uh, stage. Uh, Satan is cast out down into the first heaven. Beautiful. Now you can come back to me and let's finish this illustration. So let us now read with better understanding. Then war broke out in heaven. Which heaven? The second heaven. This is now war breaking out in the second heaven. And when war breaks out in the second heaven in the end time, and I tell you friends, this will happen. I don't know when, but there's going to be a second war, this time to dislodge Satan out of the second heaven and cast him back where he was cast before in the first heaven. And so this time I want you to notice the detail because it makes theological difference. So the dragon was cast out, the serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. Where was he deceiving us from? From the second heaven. Through the spiritual influences in the spirit realm, he was cast to the earth. Ha! This is not nice. And his angels are cast down with him. That means principalities and powers that have been in the spirit realm now become immersed in the first heaven. Then a loud voice says in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have, have come. Because what? Because the accuser of the brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. Now please understand, right there the Bible is saying there is accusation going on against the church. There's accusation going on against the brethren. But this accusation is not in the third heaven. It is not in the third heaven. This is what makes the difference. Now I can understand how one verse says me there is no accusation, and then another says there is. There is no accusation over a believer in the third heaven, in the presence of God, before the throne of heaven. There is no accusation. But there is an accusation coming from the second heaven. There is. And this is important, again, uh, for those of you that are uh, Bible, Bible, Bible theologians, you, you understand. I was saying, because the Bible says in the book of Job, 
that when the sons of God came to appear before God, Satan was amongst them. And I'm thinking, how does Satan access the third heaven when he was thrown out? How? He cannot. He cannot access the third heaven. But he has a report because when he comes, he's accusing Job. He's saying, Job, his worship is shallow. He only worships when he had a good day at work. I'm paraphrasing, trying to bring it down to us. <laughs> he only worships when things are going well. You have protected him. Nothing goes wrong with him. All his children are healthy. He is, he is wealthy. All his animals are alive. If there was trouble in his life, he would spit you in the face. This is Satan's accusation against Job. and That's where the book of Job is written. It's written to crystallize the debates of the second heaven where issues are raised against the church. And this is not an accusation to take you to hell. It's an accusation to limit your blessings. Mm. Yeah. And, and friends, let me tell you that debt was paid in the third heaven. There is no debt owing. Sin has been paid for. Every person can walk into the glory of God. But after we've been declared free, we can be accused in the second heaven. You can be accused of prayerlessness. You can be accused of not giving. You can be accused of being an angry, weird believer. <laughs> you can be accused of being a bad husband, a bad wife. It does not take away your salvation, but it limits how much of the glory of God we can experience as believers on earth. That, did somebody catch that? Please catch it, because this is an important thing. We, people think we can, we can live anywhere we want and, and, and still experience all that God has. No, we can't. We, we can't. Thank God it, it may not restrict you from being a child of God, but it can affect how much of the glory of God you see. That's why there's a big announcement when finally the accuser is thrown out of the second heaven. The, assign, the, the declaration, it says, now finally... We can see the full revelation of the glory of God on earth. Because it's saying salvation, strength, <laughs> huh? the kingdom of God and the power of Jesus hmm, has come. What a decree. It is a future decree. Some people think it, is, it was decreed years ago. No, no, no. It's not, a, it's not a yesterday decree. It's coming in the future. Salvation is here, but it can be greater in its experience. Salvation isn't just a moment. It's a walk. And, and so the decree is going on in heaven. It says, when accusations are completely destroyed in the second heaven, there is a full breaking out of salvation, strength, the kingdom of God, and the power of Christ. Did you get that? So I don't know who I'm speaking today as I come to wrap this up. And this gives me more fuel to fight the battles of my own life. And I want to read the final verses as I come to close this. Because it, it, the, 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 that declaration continues to testify. Verse 11, can you show us verse, uh, verse, let's start from verse 10 so I read this again. Then a loud voice 
saying in heaven, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has, who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. There are new levels of the glory of God that are going to show up in the end time when the second heavens are cleared up permanently, permanently of the presence and the influence of the devil. But the Bible also shows us war to those who are on earth. Because Satan has now relocated from the second heaven to the first heaven and is going to wreak havoc because he knows he has a short time. And so the troubles of our world, we haven't even seen yet. Coronavirus is happening while Satan is in the second heaven. The floods and the chaos of the earth is all happening while Satan is in the second heaven. But in the end times, he is going to be thrown out of there. And God's people, if there are any on earth, and I don't want to go into eschatology, are going to experience breakthrough to new levels because the second heavens will be cleansed. And there's going to be a manifestation of the glory and power of God on earth like never before. But for those who do not know the Lord, there will be an unleashing of demonic forces, according to the scriptures, which you don't want to be part of. You don't want to be part of it. You want to have been removed from the earth. (laughs) You want to have been taken. And I believe the rapture probably happens. Some people believe it's before the troubles of the end. Some people believe it's in the middle. But look at how they overcame. So while he was accusing them, how did they overcome? It explains. This is the last part of my sermon today. Verse 11. For they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Three elements of dealing with the accuser while he's still up there. Are you there? You're following me? (laughs) Three things they did. The believers who overcame him before he's cast down, they did it this way. Number one, by the blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb speaks of the death of Jesus Christ as the sacrificial lamb of God in our place. So they overcame Satan because of the blood of Jesus which was shed on the cross. This is the first victory against the accusation of the enemy. Is anybody hearing me today? In the highest of heavens, there is no accusation against a believer who has opened their heart and said, Lord, I surrender my life. God writes your name in the book of life. Jesus takes your sins upon himself. He did take your sins upon himself already. But if you do not accept him as your lawyer, he cannot file for you. This is what it means. (laughs) And I thank God 1981 in the month of March, my eyes opened. And I realized I need to personally cash my check. Every soul born on earth is given a spiritual check which you must cash. It's the cash, it's the check signed with the very blood of Jesus. For Lincoln Saranga, all sins forgiven, all get removed. Everything redirected to Jesus of Nazareth that as he's stretched on the cross and dies, it is me dying. That as he is crying, it is me crying that the guilt has been transferred to him 
and I am substituted by him that I may escape a verdict I can never win. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Thank God, March 1981, I saw it with my eyes in my mother's house. I was 19 years old. I made the decision. And on that day, my name was written the book of life. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. That is our first victory. You, you silence Satan's accusation over your soul permanently by asking Christ to be Savior and Lord over your heart. That is the first miracle. Secondly, they overcame him by the word of their testimony. Now, that's the second thing. <laughs> and this is where Christians get confused. I, I thought I was free. I thought I was not guilty. Yes, you are not guilty in the third heaven. In the second, there are many cases against you. <laughs> Satan can't reach the third heaven. But in the second, he's saying, no, 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 that one does that. He did that last night. And we need to understand that when we learn to obey Christ, there's a testimony in the second heaven. There is a testimony in the second heaven. Is anybody hearing me? <laughs> Thank God we can even overcome there. By the blood of the Lamb, which justifies us, by the word of their testimony, how that blood is washing us and changing us and transforming us and teaching us to love him and to walk with him. So victory has layers. Victory has layers. Like our brother was telling us, there is deliverance and then there is freedom. So Jesus has delivered us, but freedom is our responsibility. So God did his part. He smote the head of Pharaoh. He sent signs and wonders. Israel was set free. They came out delivered by God. But now God says to them, how far do you want to go? Do you want to stop there and sing songs of freedom? Or do you want to occupy what belongs to you? Because that is going to be something else. I'm not going to do it for you. I have sent the food in the desert. I have fed you miraculously. But now I want you to take up a plow and hit the ground and sow seed. And work hard and believe me and fight battles. So that deliverance may turn into freedom. Most of them stayed in the wilderness because they thought everything has got to be done by God. They thought it's just the blood. It's not just the blood, my friend. The justification is God's work. The initial work is Christ. He does everything. He pays the penalty, declares you righteous, writes your name in the book of life. Then he turns you and says, now bear fruit. Build a testimony. Fight some battles. Develop a prayer life. Read your Bible. <laughs> Start learning to give. Help people. Love people. Serve your world. Bear fruit. Develop a testimony. They overcame him by the... Keep that verse up, Marvin. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. It is your testimony, not the testimony of Jesus. Now we want yours. God... <laughs> Do you understand? You understand? Uh, in my head, the, the sense I get is there is visa control in the heavenlies. There, there are things we cannot access if we are living anyhow. 
I cannot. <laughs> this is about fruitfulness now. It's about responding to the grace of God. Number three, it says this. They did. Who? Go back. They did not love their lives to the death. This is now them dying. It started with Jesus dying. Now they are dying. By choice. So the third weapon of overcoming and silencing the voice of the accuser in the second realm is sacrifice. Sacrifice. Self-sacrifice. Voluntary sacrifice. Why should anybody wake up on a Sunday morning and run to a church and start running around? We, I walked in today and these young men were already here. How old are these boys, um, our instrumentalists? How old are they? They are in their teens. They should be sitting back doing Facebook or Twitter. What do they do? Instagram, not Facebook. I just committed a crime there. <laughs> they should be tweeting. But they run to church. And they were here setting up and running around. Because they are serving God. They are making a sacrifice. We lay our lives down for him who laid our lives down. His life down for us. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and self-denial. That is what that's what smashes the devil's face while he's still in the second heaven. But a day is coming when even there they will find no space for him. He will be thrown out of that rulership realm. And the earth will be ruled by a different dominion. Meanwhile, we overcome. So as I close, I want to challenge you, friends, that there is no accusation against you before heaven, before God the Father. But there is a voice that says you cannot experience full salvation. By the way, I should have read this verse. I keep closing if I don't read this one, I would, have, I would have done you a disfavor. Hebrews 7, verse 25. Ah, oh, this is a good way to end it. <laughs> because you see, as I have continued to grow, I mean, I'm 58. I've been saved for about 30 something years. And I'm still learning about what this thing actually is. Look at Hebrews 7, 25. Therefore, he, who he, Jesus, is able to save to the utmost. The other translation says, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Ay, 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 ay. Come on, wait right there. Jesus is able to save completely. That means by implication. Salvation experience can be truncated, can be suffocated. It can have the justification part and fail to progress past that. 
God, Jesus did not come to just justify us. He, he wanted to sanctify us and then glorify us. There are three stages. And the Bible is saying complete, full package of salvation is only possible, not because he just died. Thank God he died and paid the price and he shed the blood. But a savior who cannot rise out of the grave will only save us in part. Because he pays our penalty but does not wake up to energize us to enter the things that he has purchased. Can you imagine that? <laughs> if Jesus did not rise from the dead, he would have been a weak savior. He would have paid our debt and not given us the receipt. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, he does not just die. He dies and then three days later he bursts out of the grave and then he ascends to the heavens, stands by the right hand side of the Father and begins to intercede. There are two parts to the salvation story. The sacrifice of death and the glory of resurrection. He dies to pay the penalty. He rises to activate us and to silence accusation as an intercessor. If he cannot intercede for us to muffle the accusations in the second heaven, he cannot save us completely. I submit that to you. You guys are theologians. <laughs> so we've already said the cross is enough. It is not enough. After the cross, we need a resurrection. After a lamb, we need a king. Yeah? The priest must do the inward journey and the outward journey. So, not only does he shed blood for us, but he wakes up and cries out and makes a statement of eternally. By the way, it is eternal. Did you notice? He says he lives what? How long? Therefore, he also is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Since he always, always lives to make intercession. And I say, why is he not keeping quiet? Because he has to silence the accusation. He's a permanent intercessor saying they are not guilty, they are not guilty, they are not guilty. He has to consistently silence the accusation. That is the blood. But on top of the blood, we must add the testimony and the sacrifice. I close my case. Father, we thank you. For your word is true, and we ask that for everybody are tuning in today who is seeking for more of God's glory, there will be a new and fresh understanding of our need to continue to confess the blood and to also continue to fight for the testimony, to continue to lay our lives down so that we may experience the full package the utmost package of our salvation. God's people said, Amen and Amen.